And you're listening to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the spaces between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Travis. With me, as always, is my brother Quentin. Q, are you as excited as I am to cover Interpol's 2002 Turn On The Bright Lights? Dude, I'm so stoked, man. For many reasons. Um... This band, dude, I don't, I don't know where to start. Uh, well, this album in particular is something special, man. And this is, again, we're pulling from the early aughts because uh, that was the time, you know, when we reached that age, when we started really getting into our music, getting into our own music, you know, and listening to music on our own. Yeah, this was when we were, when we were discovering bands on our own. You know, it wasn't just what was on the radio we were kind of venturing out and you know that was back when like mp3.com and pure volume you remember remember that pure volume band uh you know websites like that were out there yeah so 2002 we were what 15 right right yeah, yeah. so let's just let's just do a quick little you know interpol was one of those bands that came out in the early O's in New York, uh, part of that post-punk revival, garage rock revival, whatever you want to call it, you know, so you had bands like The Strokes, probably the most famous garage revival band, you know, but you had, you know, The Hives, The Vines, The White Stripes, you could even kind of throw them in there at the time, uh, you know, the Yeah Yeah Yeah. Were they in New York? No, but they were lumped the, into that group. Rights? No, no, that's a good okay. that's a good point though. Yeah, they, you know, the Strokes and Interpol, I think, are famously kind of the two New York bands uh, to come out of that that revival. But but there was just a ton of those the bands, right? Yeah, I remember it, dude. I was I was way into most of them. The Hives, the Hives, man. They had the whole outfits and stuff, like, and and, and like the. The history behind that is like the original garage, garage rock sound comes out of the '60s, and there and basically, and we can get more into this when we talk about the Strokes because I think they fall more into the garage rock sound than Interpol does. But basically, the Beatles happened, and then basically they influenced a ton of young people to pick up instruments and make bands and that, and hence they went into their garages with their friends and made music. And some of them recorded records, but most of them just, you know, it began, began and ended in the garage, you know, but that's the idea. Like lo-fi, like, you know, more about DIY kind of Yeah, DIY. Exactly. Anyway, that sort of vibe and that sort of like simple songs that, that idea came back. In the in the two thousand garage band to me has always been the idea that anyone can pick up an instrument, get some friends together and make music. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. So anyway, Interpol is tied in with with that group of bands. I think they have. I think Interpol has a sound that no, no other band from that era really had. You know, they've got this. Um, I feel like blo- aura you know, I feel about like about them as well. They have a what now? Aura. Yeah, yeah. Am I saying that correctly? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, I think yeah. I think bands like Block Party sort of like touched on that same kind of vibe. Oh, man. Every time 
someone brings a block party or I hear a block party song specifically from uh what is it called silent alarm I think I think that so. one album of theirs yeah I think probably so. around the same time man I just I'm it's like I'm just reminded of just how amazing they were like yeah and how they just exploded on the scene um yeah silent alarm such a good album yeah, dude. yeah. but but yeah there's something unique about Interpol um and I think really it has to do mainly with with Paul Banks, his, his voice. And I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to single out individual members of the band cause all of them make it what it is, but the bass player, Carlos D, uh, his, his bass lines are ridiculous. And the drummer, dude. and I got to say, uh, yeah, the drummer, Sam, Sam Fogarino, yeah, un, unreal drummer, easily one of my favorite drummers, dude. He's up there with Jamie, you know, easily because he keeps it simple and he just drives the song in so many in so many instances. But but uh, but sometimes it's not so simple, dude. He's got these really great fills that he'll throw in there. But anyway, yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves as we usually do. So let's yes. dive into our our weekly segment. What you heard? Um, I'll go first because I think your band kind of ties into. You're going to tie them into spoon to Interpol a little bit. I almost said spoon because we've been talking about spoon so much. Almost you did say spoon, brother bear. Okay, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I recently, I don't remember how I found it, but it was probably just recommended to me on like the homepage of Spotify. But it was a, um, there's this curated Spotify playlist called Lava Lamp. Here is the description of that playlist. Music to contemplate the ebb and flow of universal physics reduced to a bottle of friendly colored magma. I like that. So it's basically a collection of, like it kind of goes from, the reason they say ebb and flow, I guess, is because it's kind of a collection of like down tempo songs, but also thrown in with some like more ambient electronic stuff. It's really it's a really well done playlist. But uh, this band Club Eight, and basically these guys, this is a um, a sweet this is a Swedish pop duo, um, Caroline Comstead and Johan Engergaard, if you want to know their names. but uh, I think it's Johan. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Dumb. You're probably right. Johan. But they've been, <laughs> <laughs> but they've been around since 95. Um, the name of the song uh, is interesting. It's called Kill, Kill, Kill. And it's not a heavy How metal. many kills? <laughs> Three. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a death metal song. But uh, I'm gonna. I'm curious to know if you if you think of exactly the band that I thought of when I first heard this track. But this is a really eclectic kind of like really interesting track. So let's just play it and we'll talk about it.
Yeah, so I just love I love the the sort of the ambience and like the the vibe and like the like it almost it has this sort of like haunted sort of vibe to it. Like there's a like a pipe organ that comes out of nowhere that sort of sounds like you're yeah. you're uh, at some like wake or something like that. I don't know. Or like a dude, I really really liked that. Yeah. When did that come out? 2015. Now it's wow. worth saying that the that the rest of the album is sort of more dance electronic type stuff, like club okay, dance type stuff. But I mean, you know, it, those are her. You know, she sings like that throughout the songs. There's a lot more energy and more, um, more sort of dance beats on, on the rest of them. But so that song reminded me of Arms and Sleepers mixed with like Massive Attack. And okay. Yeah, you know, those other bands. Yeah, I can from see around that time. Yeah, I can see Massive Attack, but I was uh, mainly because of her vocals. Yeah, the, her vocals reminded me of the Star Seeds. Do you remember them? Oh yeah, yeah. I was thinking that too, dude. But I wasn't going to. Sure, sure you were. Sure you were. Who the fuck knows about the Star Seeds? Yeah, the uh, par- Parallel Life. That was a great, mm-hmm. great album. Anyway, so yeah, worth checking out. Uh, it's called the the album is called Above the City. Uh, the group is called Club Eight, and that song was called "Kill, Kill, Kill." Pretty easy to remember. All right, so Q, uh, what what have you been listening to lately this week, my friend? Well, as what usually happens when I get into a band from a certain era in preparation for an upcoming episode, I'll start listening to to bands from around that time, just because it gets me in that in that mind frame you know and i got back into this band called the stills and i know you're very familiar with them yes i am um the stills were a band that i feel like i came across i may have mentioned um this in a previous episode but me and our buddy mitch from our from our grade school days i was in a basically a blow-off class with him in high school it was like an AutoCAD drawing class or something. And the teacher just let us f- do whatever the fuck we wanted, basically, until the fucking bell rang. And we were getting into a lot of music together in that class. And I th- I want to say I, f- I watched a music video from the stills that just popped up on probably pure volume or something like that. Um, from this album called Logic Will Break Your Heart, which came out in October of 2003. Uh, and then I listened to this album heavily in high school. Um, it was probably in around, around 2003 or 2004. Um, they're a band from from Montreal. And this particular song that I want to play from this album is called Of Montreal. So I guess it's a song about their, their hometown. And there's just something about it. And, you know, I was listening back to it this, this week and I realized that there's a lot of a lot of similarities in the guitar stylings between the stills and Interpol. And um, I want to see if you pick up on it, Trav. So this is track five from the stills album Logic Will Break Your Heart. It's called Of Montreal.
Remember that song, Trev? Yeah, man. Just another great album from that era. Yeah. Yeah. There's that song in particular always stands out for me. Like it's, it's always a song that, that pops up in my head often um, for, from that album. Uh, there's a really, really great live video of that song that I know I watched in that classroom. I remember watching it in that classroom um, that we should definitely post on, on the show notes for this episode. Um, it just kind of captures captures the moment really well like it kind of just takes you right right to that that performance um yeah just another you know it's so the guitar right straight up interval yeah yeah i think it's similar sort of um angular guitars but yeah i mean you know the staccato for sure at the end Mm um yeah there's there's uh several songs on that album that that have sort of the, the Interpol guitar vibes, you know, but yeah, yeah, I would say that the, the guitar player for the stills, uh, I just looked it up. His name is, his name is Tim. Well, he's the singer too. He was singer and lead guitarist, Tim Fletcher. I would say that his guitar playing and Daniel Kessler from Interpol, um, their guitar playing was a huge influence on, on my guitar playing. Um, you know, and that's, the band that I was in for, you know, three to four months of uh, Grass Fight, we wrote, we tried to write songs like Interpol, you know. Dude, yeah, you guys were really, really gunning for that, for that sound. But yeah. Um, and dude, we saw them open for Kings of Leon, remember? Yeah, no, dude. That was, a, that was interesting. What's funny is like, when you, when you read articles about the post-punk revival of the early 2000s, you're right. You, you'll you get The Strokes, Interpol, you know, The Libertines, White Stripes, like all those bands that you associate. And then Kings of Leon, oddly enough, get associated with the post-punk revival because they, they I mean, they were doing sort of like a Southern rock revival, you know what I mean? But they get lumped in yeah. to, this, to this movement for some reason, even though they weren't from New York or anything like that, but... If you want to hear more about Kings of Leon, you can listen to our th- fourth episode, third episode. No, dude, third. Our third episode, uh, where we talk about youth and young manhood. Anyway, let's get into Interpol. So, as we've mentioned, these guys, um, these guys formed in New York. Um, they actually met. Uh, Paul Banks met Daniel Kessler, the guitar player. Uh, in New York at university, New York University in a philosophy class. And um, actually, I'm sorry, Kessler met Dingler. So let's give the roster here before we start saying names. So Paul Blank, Paul Blank, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Paul Banks is lead What's si- in that coffee, brother? Oh, nah, nah. Uh, Paul, <clears throat> what? <laughs> <laughs> Paul Banks, lead singer, guitar player. Daniel Kessler, guitar player. Carlos Dengler, who goes by Carlos D, is the bass player. And Sam Fogarino. Or Fogarino. Or I think it's Fogarino. Yeah. He's Italian, Sicilian, so he's the drummer. 
So there was a different drummer before uh, Sam joined, um, but I don't think he he didn't last um, very long. So basically, Kessler, Carlos D, and Paul Banks all went to New York University, and that's where they met. Paul Banks was sort of doing his own thing, writing his own music. Uh, he never really entertained the idea of joining a band because he just wanted to kind of write his own stuff and do solo stuff. But then he met uh, Kessler, and you know, basically he says that like he just he he thought that that Kessler was this really interesting guy who was into sort of this interesting music and like, you know, he listened to some of the stuff that Kessler was writing and, and thought that it was better than the stuff that he would, or, or, you know, as good or better than the stuff that he was writing. So he, he was like, well, this is the first guy that I've met that's like writing stuff that I actually want to contribute to. And, you know, he said that like Kessler would do these weird things like, like, you know, a teacher was about to give a test at the university and he would just like stand up and be like, I can't do this right now. And he would just walk out. And Paul was like, this guy, you know, this guy's, there's something with this guy. I got to work with him. You know? And then they meet Carlos D. And if you've heard, if you've read about Carlos D or I've heard him in interviews or just seen pictures of him from, from that era, like Carlos D is, uh, I don't know how to describe him. You know what I mean? Like he's just this he's something else, man. Yeah. He, he is like very particular man. He's, He's definitely one of those intellectual type. Like he sounds like yes. He sounds like a punk rock like cool version. Well, not even cool. Just like a punk rock goth version of Niles from Frasier. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my god, dude. Did you, you know just what I mean? make that up yourself? Yeah, I did, dude. Yeah, that's perfect. That's the first thing I thought that's of. Perfect. Cuz he's super yeah. particular from the stories he's I've read about. He's extremely logic as well. Very logical. He likes to argue about everything. Um he's a bit uh you know, Vulcan, or I'm sorry, Vulcan. He's a little bit Vulcan. Yeah, logic, you know I mean? very logical. Yeah. And apparently, him and, and and Paul Banks would kind of butt heads in the early days because yeah, Paul Banks is, is much more laid back. I think we should also say as well that Carlos D is no longer bass player for Interpol. No, he's not. He's not. There's but, kind uh, of a falling out with the band. I don't know exactly when that happened, but he is no longer with the band. Yeah, it sounds like he was kind of hard to to get along with, but but yeah. um. Which is for reasons, you know, is like what we were just talking about. You know? Yeah, but but you know, as as we will hear in this episode, like he's got some of the best bass lines. They're um, so cool. Yeah, man. he he's a phenomenal bass player. Uh, what's funny is there's actually uh, a quote from Paul Banks when he was talking about about Carlos, and he said that um, while they were recording "Turn on the Bright Light," Carlos D used to joke that they should call the album. Celebrated baselines of the future, because he was so like cocky and confident about his bass playing. But like you know, in a way, like he wasn't wrong. You know what I mean? But anyway, so they 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 meet at New York University. Um, that's kind of that's that's all I know about sort of the origins. I don't know when Sam gets pulled into it, but um. As far as leading to Turn on the Bright Lights, basically, they were playing these shows in New York with all the other bands that were doing shows in New York. I think the Strokes had already kind of hit it big, or had just hit it big with like with Is This It? You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, 
they hadn't come up with a name for themselves yet, but they were getting a good following at some shows and stuff. So they call themselves Interpol. They start making some demos, and then they go to record Turn on the Bright Lights. So basically, Sam, the, the drummer, had worked with and knew this record producer named Peter Caddis. And he basically had this studio in his attic uh, in this mansion. So they recorded uh, Turn on the Bright Lights in this mansion, which used to be like a, a hospital for mentally ill children or something like that. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never read that. That's that's perfect, dude. That is so perfect. Hey, let's play the first our first pick, man, right after that. Okay, yeah, that's fucking good. Revelation. So anyway, I was just going to say that, you know, this is one of those albums where or one of those studios where they basically went and lived there and recorded it, you know what I mean? So it was one of those things where like So they lived in well, once was a hospital for the mentally ill and recorded this album in that place. Yeah. So basically, yeah. So here's, here's, here's a quote. Here's a quote from Paul Banks. He says this, the studio is this big old, I don't know if you'd call it Victorian, a few hundred year old house that was once a mental hospital for kids. The whole top floor is a studio for kids, for kids. (laughs) Yeah. Even say that. At the beginning. Oh, I thought I did. But yeah, no, he said he says the whole top floor is a studio. So you just come and live with Peter as a band and make your record. So here they are recording an album in this this old mental hospital for kids. I mean, it's this this guy it's not like it's a like an abandoned mental hospital that they just stumble upon. Like this is this guy's house, you know what I mean? But still, like those right. those vibes and like that aura, as you said earlier, like that's still there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But either way, so that's the kind of, and you know, I don't know, I don't know why, but that's that's perfect for this album. Let's listen to track one, shall we? Yeah, let's go into track one, and I think it's the perfect track one for Interpol's debut album because it it just does this this great job of sort of introducing each member of the band. You know what I mean? Yes. And yes. like 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 it's just the perfect like it just tees it up so perfectly. So anyway, this is called Untitled and it's track 1 off of Turn on the Bright Lights.
Man, just a just a little tease of Paul Banks' vocals in that. Yeah, and that, that, that clip that you shared. And that's part one. I've got another. We've got the next part of that. I think I think we're hearing the whole song actually because it's not a it's not okay. a very so the next clip pretty much plays out the rest of the song. But cool. yeah, what a great. I mean, there's just something like the sort of the. Where do you start? Yeah, you know, you know just sort of the extended intro. Like it's a long intro before Paul starts singing. Um, it starts with just the guitar, which is like you know the guitars are such a staple of of Interpol, and then both Sam and and Carlos come in at the same time with those drums. Yeah. And let me just say something about Sam, dude. Right from the outset, like his okay. his Sam the, yeah, the drummer, his hi hat and cymbal stuff is mm-hmm. fucking great. Yeah. And that's the first thing you hear uh, on this album is his his symbols. You know what I mean? No, and you're right. And, and it it shows up again throughout the record, like what he does with the hi-hat. And if you don't pay attention to drums, if you're not a drummer, there is an art to, I don't know, finessing the hi-hat. Like accent notes that you can you can pull off just with the hi hat, and if you don't know what the hi hat is, do you think people know what the hi hat is, dude? Should I explain? Yeah, dude. If you're listening okay. to this podcast, you should know what a hi hat is. You should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He he just he just plays the shade out of his hi hats, man. And it's something that I've look. I've been playing drums for a long time, and I'm just now getting around to actually focusing on what you can do with just the hi-hat and and the way that you you play it you know with the way that you step on it that you step on the pedal for the hi-hat and you can do very intricate and delicate subtle changes with the hi-hat just in the way that you play with i mean i I don't know if you want to leave all this in dude because you know who gives a shit right um but yeah like every time i play this record you know, this song comes on and every time I'm just like anticipating Sam, you know, leading us into the song with the, with, with the hi-hat. And it's like, I know when it's coming, but every time it comes in, you know, it's just exciting and yeah. it just gets me pumped for the rest of the record, dude. Yeah. And then not to mention the guitar, uh, you know, he, he does that, that initial, you know, you hear the guitar, the main guitar riff, but then you hear either Paul or Daniel come in with like this, this guitar chord that they, he kind of plays and just lets it kind of, uh, it's not, he doesn't sustain it, but then the second time he hits it, like it, he holds it and like slides down with a lot of reverb on it and stuff. I love that. I want to listen to that and, and focus in on that part again, dude. All right. Because I want people to know what we're talking about because honestly, it is my favorite part of the, of this song. Of the song. Yeah, well, yes. what's well, I, you know, it's he does that a lot throughout the album. So yeah, but yeah, let's play that again real quick. Yeah, like like that kind of that kind of like 
you know, like it's a it's a quick slide down. He's got some delay on it and some like reverb. And then yeah. the next time, as you heard, he he holds it and goes down slower. And so you really hear that like that reverb yeah. and that echo. And so it's just yeah. great, man. It's perfect. And let's just let's nerd out a little bit more. Um, the way that Sam and Carlos play. Um, play along with each other dude, dude. they're one of the um, best uh it's a rhythm section right bass and drums yeah, is a rhythm yeah. se- they're one of the best rhythm yep. sections uh dude, in a long time uh, i mean i can just i can just feel it you know like if you pay attention to the bass line and the bass drum yes. and what sam is doing with his right foot on that bass on that bass pedal it's just he's just playing alongside playing along with what what carlos is doing um, as he's plucking those bass strings, but it's just so oh man, it's just so good, dude. And let's uh, let's go yeah. ahead and just dive into the next clip, shall we? Let's yeah, get a little yeah. bit more into this song. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So let's talk about um, Paul Banks a little bit there. So this song is an example of Paul Banks when he's um, keeping it light. Yeah, so here's the thing about him. You know, keeping it somber. So he's famous for this baritone range that he has, which, you know, basically, you know, he can sing both the the lows and the highs, you know what I mean? Like, he's between bass and tenor. So, like... He's a little bit more on the on the tenor range here, but uh, yeah, it's very it's more of a soft delivery. Um, yeah, and I'll say this right now, dude. This is the Paul Banks that I like most. Is the is the more soft? Well, that's funny that you should say that because I love it when he. I don't. I, I one of the things I love about Interpol is when he really strains his voice and like. And you can hear it in Obstacle 1, which we played in the intro. I almost want to play it again, and maybe I will. Uh, 
but I like it when he when he goes from the soft to the loud and really like almost like yeah. like releases his like it's hard to explain without playing a sample so we'll play a sample from obstacle one right now Yeah, you heard it right there, and um, right as the verse started up, everything kind of came in. Um, but yeah, this, they start the album off with his more soft vocals, right? And that's what's so great about Untitled, which is the first track leading into Obstacle One, which is what we just played. Like, Untitled is a very more kind of soft song, and then Obstacle One just like smacks you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, and let's say this too, dude, because I've talked about Interpol with enough people to know that it, this is another one of those you either love them or you hate them bands. Yeah. In most cases, it's either, you know, you love or you hate this band because of how Paul Banks sings. Yeah. Well, you know, he gets compared to Joy Division a lot. Right. Um, probably because Ian something or other. Yeah. Uh, Ian Curtis, I think. Ian, yeah, yeah, Ian yeah that sounds right. Yeah, because his, you know, it's that monotone range almost. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. But again, it's like that. That is what makes Interpol Interpol to me. You know, that is what contributes uh, I, to, dude, I, to the vibe. I think it's 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 never a good idea to completely dismiss a band because the singer sounds like another famous singer because Interpol doesn't sound like joy division. No, but, but yeah, but I mean, look, I guess it's just, if you, if you don't like monotone singing, then you might not be able to get past that. You know what I mean? But when you listen to the music, the bass and the drums and the guitar, and right. Everything. You got to think about the band as a, as a whole, right? Not just how the singer sound like, and I feel like his his voice is what is what makes his music have that emotional like punch. You know what I mean? Yes. And especially we'll yes. hear that uh, when we play our third song. But let's go on to our second pick, which is Obstacle Two, and it's a good it's a good song to play after hearing Untitled because it kind of shows the other side of Interpol. So, yeah, let's play it, and we'll talk about it. I'm gonna pull you in close, gonna wrap you up tight, gonna play with the braids that you came here with tonight. I'm gonna hold your face and toast the snow that fell, because friends don't waste wine when there's words to sell.
Okay, so this is what I was talking about uh, with regard to his his the other side of like his vocal range. You know what I mean? And not even range. Like it, you know, there's these moments where he just sort of sings almost like off key, and like it's almost it's, like it, he's it, it's imperfections. Yeah, and it's um, almost like it's, he's it's, uh, he's stra- it, he's straining or like he's yeah. You know, uh, that's yeah, just yeah. Dude, yeah. I, it really contributes to the to the song. You know what I mean? Yeah. One yeah. thing I I heard I don't remember who said it. It was an interview that I was listening to. Uh, apparently, the first few sessions um, when they were you know when they all came together as a band and started um, kind of jamming and, and rehearsing you know early on, Paul just kind of observed and they didn't even hear his voice until uh, a few jam sessions in and then when when he finally you know staying when he when he finally sang they were all just blown away so you know i guess he was kind of shy at, at first about that about okay that stuff i've got this great um passage from this book that i that i started reading uh that deals with that exactly it's actually um paul banks talking about his voice so there's this book that came out i think in 2015 called meet me in the bathroom uh, the subtitle being Rebirth and Rock and Roll in New York City, 2001 to 2011. So basically, it's a collection of interviews that this, the author is this, I think she's a writer for like NME and uh, this other music publication. And she wanted to kind of tell the story of like New York post-punk revival, that whole scene. So she went around. And Meet and, Me in the Bathroom is this, is the song title of a. Of a stroke song. It's a stroke song from yeah. their, what, third album? I think that was their from second their second album, album yeah. R- Room on Fire? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, and she's talking to, this is where I heard about the, um, the the mental hospital thing. That was pulled from this book. They were talking about the studio space. And then Paul Banks says, um, he says, I was a big fan of the music we were doing. Felt like that couldn't be fucked with. But I had issues with my vocals. The first time we ever did a demo, I said to Carlos, dude, I feel like I should sing PDA an octave up because my voice sounds fucking fucking weird. I don't identify my voice as being that bassy, that baritone that I'm known for. It was, where the fuck did that come from? I was not a fucking singer at all when the band started. I wanted to emulate how we sounded in the rehearsal spaces but when you get into a good studio and it's like a fucking spit guard and a $5,000 microphone, it's pristinely clear. So when we did that record, I was just drunk a lot. I was on scotch because it was winter time. If it was a summer, Holy it would shit. have been vodka. And then, Sam, and then Sam goes on. He was just insecure about his voice. Nobody else felt that way. Wow, dude. I, I love that. I just love that, that, that that's that was the case that, that yeah. you know, such a uh, unique voice that brings so much to this record came from someone who didn't even consider himself a singer. And what's interesting is like, you listen to the, the stuff that they're putting out over the past few years and you know, his voice has, um, I don't want to say matured, but I mean, it's definitely like his, his singing voice has gotten better but again, like I hesitate to say that because I liked the imperfections of his voice on Turn on the Bright Lights. And I liked the fact that he was kind of shy about it because you definitely like you. 
especially in the early um, live performances that they do on like on like the late night shows like you could tell he was still yeah. kind of working it out you know what i mean yeah yeah but yeah and that goes back to what i was saying um for people that don't like interval it always comes down to to paul bing's voice always they just can't get past it yeah uh let's 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 play our last pick okay um, so here's the thing about this, this song dude <laughs> there's something that happens in this yeah in this song dude that just yeah. okay so we played untitled which was the more slow melodic soft singing voice paul banks interpol song then we played obstacle two which is kind of the more that's more the interpol sound that's kind of throughout the album the more like you know punchy kind of rock song the new, which is the next song we're going to play, kind of combines both of those in one kick-ass fucking song, dude. And it's got this part. Uh, we'll just let it play. But yeah, I've got, there's a I've lot got, that happens in this Yeah, there's a, ho- there's a hell of a lot that happens in this song. And I've got two clips, but it's, it's the entire song. So um, we'll play the first clip. And that stops right before the, uh, the change in the song. So... Let's hear it. Okay, so like the very the very first thing you hear is like that really kind of sounds like a 
what he's doing is like he's taking a his guitar pick and strumming the um, like below the bridge of the guitar. Yeah, that's how it's making that sort of like I don't know. I don't know what to call it. It's like, like a, it's like past the point where the strings are in tune. Yeah, I'm and just trying to describe this. Minimal the, the, knowledge that I have on how guitars. Yeah, you can also get that work. sound by 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 plucking like near the tuning pegs too, like above the yeah up, the up top. But yeah, yeah. Um, that's what he's doing there, and he's got some. It's almost like a reverse echo type thing on it or something. But anyway, very slow melodic like start, more som on the somber side, and then it transitions into. He starts, you know, his voice picks up a little bit, and they've got this great little, um, I guess it's like a, I guess it's sort of the interlude of the song, you know. But then, uh, probably one of my favorite parts on the entire album happens next. And this is the kind of shit that you don't hear on a Stroke song or any of these other bands. Like, this is what made Interpol great, so let's play this next part.
don't think it gets any better than that, dude. Yeah. And like I said, you never hear the Strokes do something like that. No. Not to pick on the Strokes, because the Strokes are one of my favorite bands of all time from that era. Right. But I'm so just saying, we're like... we're just talking about another New York City band from Yeah, we're talking about the... Yeah, I mean, they this is what... That revival scene. This, to me, is what made this album... Uh, stand out to me and like look man if i was recording an album in a fucking rundown well yeah <laughs> yeah in right. a mental uh, hospital for children that's how the songs would come out all right i gotta ask you this during that one you know uneasy queasy part uh what? in that in clip two you mean you where like I'm... where he's bending the string kind of up and yes i was gonna like... ask you is he like actively detuning the strings uh, on the guitar. Okay. I don't think no, I don't think so. I think what he's what he's okay. doing is he's he's got the string bent up mm-hmm. already. He's bending the string mm-hmm. up and just and just bending it down as he's strumming. And that's what makes that, okay. that that sound. And I love so one thing we didn't really get into, but I feel like we should talk just a little bit about the lyrics in the majority of this album are very there's a lot of like sexual tension in the lyrics, well, um, I mean, there I guess, is, I guess, and this, <laughs> yeah, and this, I mean, in that part in particular, the lyrics are, "You're looking all right tonight. I think we should go." What do you think he's talking about, dude? The thing about his lyrics, though, is, is, is like, you know, yeah, he's got that, but then on Roland, he's talking about my best friends from Poland, and oh, he has a beard. They caught him in his they caught him with his case in a public place. That is what we had feared. So like his lyrics are all over the place. They always have been, uh, especially like, there, if you but go, there are a lot of lyrics that are specifically that he's singing about, you know, an, a, an attraction to a, a particular woman or something like that. Yeah. But again, like, like I said, like, you know, like the, the very first uh, line on obstacle one is, I wish I could eat the salt off your lost faded lips. I mean, like he's very like poetic with his words and like, yeah. Um, the subway in, in New York city, the line, you know, the, the subway is a porno. Yeah. What? Anyway. So that's just a little taste of turn on the bright lights, dude. And Hey, guess what? We barely did. What? Scratch the surface. <laughs> But I think that this, you know, the three songs we picked are a good sampling of the album. You know what I mean? I hope so, because that's, hey, that's what we're here for. And we we were just picking from songs that weren't singles, dude. Because that's right. what No Filler's all about. Right. That's right, Q. That's <laughs> what we say in the intro. That's right. Every week. So that's it. That's Interpol. That's, um, that is their debut, Turn On The Bright Lights. It is... Still one of my favorite albums of all time. I feel like it, it you know, because this is when, like we said, this is kind of when we were discovering music on our own for the first time. I hadn't, you know, I, I didn't know about, you know, Joy Division or, you know, they get they get compared to some new wave stuff as well, like Echo and yeah. the Bunnymen. Uh, yeah. Not so much Echo and the Bunnymen's, like, hits that everybody knows, but, like, the early Echo and the Bunnyman stuff. Yes, which I think we're going to cover for our sidetrack. I I want to dive into some Echo. Yeah, dude. But yeah, so, you know, not having any of those bands um, 
in my rotation at the, you know, when I was 12 or whatever, 13, or I guess 15, 15 with this day. Like, I, this was the first time I had heard music that sounded like this. You know what I mean? Right. And you know what? For me, it, it, it took a while for me to get into Interpol. Um, I, I was but, fucking sold from the, from the, from the beginning, dude. Like, I think I stumbled yeah. upon these guys on, on mp3.com or something like that. And I was just hooked. I think obstacle one was the first song I heard. And I was just really, I was drawn to it immediately. And I think the, the guitar playing really kind of changed the way I approached my guitar playing. Um, you know, whenever I tried to, 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 to write my own stuff or, or pick around and come up with my own licks and stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely a really important album uh, for this era of music. I think it's definitely something that it, if it's, you know, it needs to be on, on a top 10 list for sure for albums of, of the early two thousands. I mean, not only is it, is it on one of those lists? It's um, it's number one on uh, Pitchfork's top fifty albums of of that year. Number one. First off, I can't believe they have a list with fifty albums from one year. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's let's hear here here are some of the other albums on on that list. If you're curious, a walk down memory lane. Sea Change came out that year by Beck. What? That's number forty-two according to Pitchfork on their top fifty. For for two thousand two. For two thousand two. Damn. The uh, Eminem, the Eminem show, number thirty. Is that the one with Slim Shady? I think so. Yeah. Oh my god. Dude. I don't fucking know. I mean, maybe. Uh, what else? I mean, I'm not. I'm not recognizing any of this stuff. Uh, oh, dude, the Walkman. Everyone who pretended to like Ooh. me is gone. Ooh. That's the one with those kids smoking on the cover, yeah, smoking cigarettes. Uh, hot, hot heat, dude. There's another band from that. From man, from... that's a good one, dude. That's that's another one of those albums that I forget about. Now here's here's where here's where you know we, we get to make fun of Pitchfork again. Why on earth would they put Hot Hot Heat uh, above Sea Change? Right. You know what I'm saying, dude. Probably because. They're looking at Sea Change as another album from Beck, who at that point had already had yeah, so many great albums. Yeah, but it was such a it was such a change from the rest of his music, you know. It was just like a sea's worth of change. But here's their t- here's their top here's their top ten, dude. Here's their top ten. Uh, Liars, I don't know who that is. Sonic Youth, Murray Street, mm-hmm. Boards of Canada, uh, Geo hey. Gotti. Throwback, am I right? Number six, Spoon Kill the Moonlight, Ooh. which is what we're covering next after next week's side track. What? Actually, I almost forgot to mention this. Uh, in one of the interviews that I saw with, with the boys from Interpol, they were asked, and this is actually, this will tie into the, the outro pick. Uh, this is a question that was asked on, on this interview. This, you know, What music were you guys listening to? And I think it was Carlos that said he was way into Kill the Moonlight at the time. The drummer said that. around 2002, 2003. Yeah. Yeah. The drummer said that, which is, you know, I mean. The drummer said that? That was Sam? Yeah. That was Sam who said that. So, I mean, it's no, obviously he was, he was a fan. Yeah. He's a Jamino fan. Yeah. Of course he is. Uh, But if you're just to, 
to 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 wrap this up. Number two on that list was Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. Interesting. Oh. But Interpol, but Turn on the Bright Lights beats all of those, according to Pitchfork. And, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with them. I mean. No. No, as far I, as, like, impactful, yeah. the album that As far that as something that, that, that's really different, you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially for that for that, for that that year and from those and, all those dude, bands that came out. I just wonder if if a, a big reason why that hits number one is because it's a debut album. Maybe. And it's be, it's a debut album that's that memorable and different. And, yeah. And, you know, kind of like we said about Girls Can Tell, the thing about Turn On The Bright Lights, it's just one of those albums that just has this mood. You know, you, you push play and straight from the beginning, it just gets you in this headspace and you know it's just got this vibe yeah um, and now all knowing, the way through knowing that um that they recorded that in a in a uh what used to be a kids uh, a, a mental hospital Insane for kids asylum whatever you want to call it yeah what yeah right Dude. exactly <laughs> i mean and, and like they said like the the entire second floor was the studio space. So, like, just imagine they're playing oh. that outro, like they're recording it, the new, you know. It's just, oh. like you can, you can f- feel it, dude. It's a, yeah. It gives you goosebumps, man. Yeah. All right, so that's it. Uh, let's wrap it up. Um, yes. So check out our website, nofillerpodcast.com. Uh, you can listen to all the episodes uh, going back to episode one. Um, you can... Uh, Find us on SoundCloud or, you know, any other podcast player. And uh, that's it. Next week we'll have our sidetrack episode. Yes, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk us out, dude. I'm gonna walk us out today for our outro. Um, I'm gonna pick a song from the Warlocks, particularly from their album uh, "Rise and Fall." which came out in 2001. This was an album that apparently band members of Interpol listened to together. They were all into it at the time of uh, the recording of Turn on the Bright Lights. So this was one of those bands where, you know, if someone said, hey, have you heard of the Warlocks? I'd say yes. But I couldn't tell you one song of theirs. I couldn't, you know, couldn't pick them out from a group of bands. But I'd heard, I've always heard of the name The Warlocks, Never got into them. They are a psychedelic rock band um, from the late 90s. They've been around since 98. And I, you know, just gave a listen to this album after after hearing that that quote from the interview um, that, that the boys in Interpol were into them. And uh, one song in particular I really liked from this record. It's called Song for Nico. And uh, Nico Case, my guess is no, my guess is Nico, as in, um, you know, the, oh, the, one, that, the one that sang it, yeah, the, the, the one that sang with the Velvet Underground, yeah, in that one record, uh, with the banana on it that everyone knows, yeah, yeah, the Andy Warhol record, um, right. yeah, and um, yeah, I don't have much else to say about him. It's just a great song, and it's a good song to, to close this one out with. So that's going to do it for us today. 
Be sure to check back with us. We're going to have our sidetrack episode up next week. Uh, I think we're going to cover Echo and the Bunnymen to kind of tie up any loose ends uh, uh, for this Interpol episode. So that's going to do it. My name is Quentin. My name is Travis. Bye.
Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You used to associate crickets with silence. But since you bought a house in the suburbs, you know crickets hate silence. If any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise, they might think, maybe I won't do that. Constantly. All night long. Luckily, you can save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 